I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the British Film Designers Guild Awards 2019. I know that some of you may be confused when I say 2019 awards, as the year is in fact 2020, but it's not a mistake. What we do here at the Guild is present awards for films and TV productions that have been released during the previous year. It's a radical approach and I'm hoping it will start a trend. Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast, which this week is all about design. This was recorded at the British Film Designers Guild Awards 2019, which actually took place in 2020, as BFDG Chairman Adam O'Neill just explained. I hosted the awards last year, and I was honoured to host them again this year. Coming up, you're going to hear from three people I spoke to at the awards. Sonia Klaus, a regular collaborator of Ridley Scott, who was nominated for Terminator Dark Fate, Gemma Jackson, who's up for Aladdin, and Simon Bowles, who last year won a BFDG award for Johnny English Strikes Again. But first, I want to thank Adam O'Neill for getting my name right. I've just got one more, one more thing to say before I hand over to Mark. Um, last year, during the rehearsal for this speech, um, I was standing on a stage at the, the Horse Guards Hotel, and um, I was very conscious that uh, Mark's surname is pronounced Kermode. I, I knew that because I'd looked it up before, and I knew that you have to think of Kermit. Kermit, Kermode. So I was thinking this all the time when I was doing my rehearsal for the speech and, uh, and I got through it okay and, and then I finished it and I said I'd like to hand over now to Mark Kermode and he looked at me and he said uh, yeah that, that, that's great, um, just one thing, my, my name, it's Kermode. And uh, <laughs> think Kermit, Kermit, Kermode. So, I'd now like to hand over to our host for this evening, Mark Kermode. So, I'm Simon Bowles. I'm a production designer. And how did we first meet, Simon? We first met um, because... We met physically because of your tap requirements <laughs> that you needed. I saw, was it on YouTube? Or no, it was on, um, on Twitter. You posted that you're having this nightmare of a problem with this tap. Yeah. So, uh, so I had a look at some photographs of your tap at home. And uh, we had some engineers look at it at Pinewood Studios. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they came up with a little little folded metal thing. So we made a paper version of it and we sent it to you to double check it I fitted sent, onto the tap. I sent, okay, the way I remember this was, because it was so nuts, because we'd started, we'd got in touch with each other through Twitter, through the yes. miracle of Twitter, because yes. you'd worked with Amma. Yes. And, um, and I had reviewed a film in which I think I may have mentioned the production design, which is kind of, as you know, is kind of fairly rare with, with critics. And you had got in touch with me and we'd sort of, we'd had a few messages backwards and forwards. And then I had put a picture on Twitter of this, of this tap that I was having the most terrible trouble with. It was a, it was a designer tap, it didn't have a top on it. When you turned it on, it just sprayed you with water. And I thought there must be some way of b turning this into a functional tap. And I think I put a picture on it and you wrote back and you said, if I'm right, you said, I'm working on John, is it Johnny English? I was on Johnny English at the time. And yes. you said, I've got an entire props department. <laughs> what do you need? And I said, I've got to fix this tap. And you went, all right, well, you know, send me a picture of it. So what I did was I made a little, like a, a paper model of what I thought the thing would be. And then I posted it to you. And then the next thing was you started sending me photographs of this thing being made in metal in, in this props house. And, and it's now, it's still, it works wonderfully. Does it, it still works. work? It's, it's still, still there, there, is it? Still there, it works oh, wonderfully. Fantastic. And whenever, whenever anybody says, you know, do you have a bathroom upstairs? I say, yes. And incidentally, <laughs> when you use the tap, let me tell you the story of how the tap got there. So where are we at the moment? 
In terms of the awards, there, what, 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 what's the awards ceremony that we're at? So we're at the British Film Designers Guild Awards, the prestigious British Film Designers Guild Awards. Um, we've been holding for many years, actually, and uh, over the last three years, we've kind of really made it as big as possible. Yes. So really, we're so proud of all of our work, um, of the, the, the British art departments and set decorating departments. So yes, we've, uh, we've pushed and pushed to get it bigger and bigger. Maybe like five years ago, we were holding it at Pyman Studios in a little room as part of our AGM. It was yeah. fabulous and, and you know, four or five people walked away with a little glass award. <laughs> but we really wanted it to be something, something bigger and better, something that we can be really proud of that will help you know, kind of publicize all the work that, that, that we do here in the UK on so many massive, massive uh, movies like Star Wars and such enormous movies, but also the smaller films, uh, television, and even like TV commercials, and also light entertainment, which yeah. in itself is a whole kind of genre within within what we do. Now I'm hosting for the, for the second year, which means it can't have been a total disaster last year. Which I'm really, honestly, I was really glad when I got the phone call saying, "Would you like?" I was like, "Oh yeah, great!" I mean, I got yeah. away with it because the conversation that we had, in fact, not just with you, I had with many with many production owners. They said that you do understand that most critics have absolutely no idea what a production designer does. Mm -hmm. And and I said, okay, well, I will try and be better at it. But, you know, I've, I understand that the, that the awards are part of raising awareness of what production designers do. Do you think people are starting to understand more what the role of the production designer is? I think that the public are aware that there is some designing going on somewhere along the way. I think it's, um, I think that there you know, it's surprising how many people do watch the Oscars and the BAFTAs and things. And there is obviously an award, and there are clips about the award. So, so I think they understand that there is there is a, de a special department that's that's kind of like creating this world, this this backdrop mm -hmm. that um, that the film or the the, the, the TV piece is is, uh, is portraying and and works along with it. But as far as critics go, yes, I think it's it's it is misunderstood. It's um, the work of the production design department, uh, the whole, you know, the hundreds of people that, yeah. that create this world is not just an individual. It's just this huge it's a number huge of crews, huge hundreds crews. and hundreds. Yeah, absolutely huge. And and the work that goes into it, I think, is sometimes read by critics, and it's being uh, the recognition is being given to the cinematographer that it's actually part of the yeah. the color of the set. Say, is you know, is the vivid color was uh, was chosen by the cinematographer. I mean. And, and that's nobody's fault. That's you know that's why, as a committee member of the British Film Designers Guild, like I said, we have to have to have some sort of award system that kind of like helps advertise what we do. Um, and you know, and and the year I was the, the chairman, I was like, we must get we must get somebody that's really kind of dynamic, and and let's get a journalist in, let's speak to Mark about it. So so that's how you ended up being. Yeah, I was involved. specifically told um, by uh, I think maybe the set dresser who said. You know, I, they quoted a review at me. They said, I read in a review, you said that this film was beautifully lensed in blue and green hues. And they said, I remember spending a week painting the blue and green hues <laughs> that you then attributed to the cinematographer. And I think that was the moment I felt the most pulled up on something. And it was absolutely right. You know, I just yeah. thought, yes, of course. Of course you didn't shoot it in blue and green. Mm. That's the set. Yes. So um, what are we going to see tonight at the awards? What's going to be celebrated? So we, um, when we're putting the awards together, we want to try and give as, as many kind of categories as possible so that we do recognize everybody, you know, from, like I say, from large scale movies down to uh, TV shows, across to um, uh, light entertainment as well. Yeah. So they're all, they're all as valuable. So we're going to be uh, seeing uh, awards given to all those categories. Um, the the uh, awards are, are chosen by the members of the British Film Designers Guild, quite a few hundred people. Yeah. So, um, and obviously they know what they're looking for when they're judging something. So, so it really does mean a lot to, to those who are receiving the awards. What are they looking for? They are looking for, um, I think they're looking past the, um, just the, 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 the acting and the story, but they're looking into the story to understand how that story is reflected. That's a massive part of what a production designer does. Storytelling. Storytelling, absolutely. And quite often, you are starting with an empty stage. There's nothing. You've got the script and an empty stage, or five stages, however many. Quite often, that's, that's uh, a wonderful thing to be able to start with nothing and create it as if it's another character to the story. And, it's, and it has to show the background and has to work with the flow. I mean, I worked on a film called The Descent many years ago. Yeah, and, which is uh, a fantastic, and a really low budget film. It really was. It was such a tiny budget. Neil Marshall. 
with Neil Marshall. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so we had such a tiny amount of money to do that. But again, everything had to be created on five stages at Pinewood Studios. Um, so, so, so then I wanted to create something that, that, that we kind of this environment that, that works. So, and as you know, it's a story that it's like a road movie. We just keep on going forwards and forwards and forwards with the characters. Um, and I wanted to design the sets that, that, that kind of like the, reflect the mindset of the, the moment of each of those caves represents that moment within the actors or the characters' heads. So, um, uh, so yes, it goes from one extreme like that for, to creating something from nothing to, to choosing locations, finding a location that represents, uh, works very well with the scene, which is why often we're, we're mostly driving around. When we shoot on location, we're moving this whole massive circus of trucks from one location to another because we're creating maybe one house but using five different locations yeah. because because a, a living room at this location might work but the rest of the house is, is no good for the you know and the, but they walk through a door in one location one national trust property and they pop out at a, in a hall of another one for another <laughs> dynamic scene that, that, that again that that room reflects the, the the emotion and works for the blocking and the lighting and the sound and everything so so it's that's that's a really important part of production design. I was speaking to Hope Dixon Leach, who directed The Leveling just yesterday, and she was doing um, a seminar in Exeter about making The Leveling, which is a low budget independent film shot on a farm. No, shot on four farms. <laughs> and go. I said, why? And she went, because there's a bit for the milking of the cows, and there's a bit for the interior, and there's a bit yeah. with the thing. The genius of it is that when you do it properly, nobody notices. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, that was a perfect example with The Descent. Nobody, nobody even queried that it was that it was real caves. No. There was only one person that did. What was his name? Oh, Mark Kermode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you gave us an award, a culture no, show I gave award. You an award. That's right. No, I remember yeah. that, but I didn't remember watching the film and saying it's not caves. I remember afterwards discovering that it was all production yeah, design. But your coverage, your your reviews mentioned that it was yeah. that it was cave sets. It's yeah. one of the quotes I still use because it's you. because I mean that film. For a start, I've got a, I'm claustrophobic, right? But I also think it's a really, really good film, and I like the characters, which is important because you go with them deeper and deeper and deeper. And I watched it in an increasing state of panic and anxiety. <laughs> and I remember saying afterwards, "Where on earth did they find the caves?" Fantastic. And I think it was Ian George. He said, "No, no, they're sets." What do you mean they're sets? Because it, it had not occurred to me that that's what they were, and it was an absolutely fantastic piece of production design. What's happening? Oh shit! Circling us. Where is it? This way, man. So when we shot it, the, our editor was actually uh, claustrophobic, and he was his office was next door to one of the sets, one of the stages. And we would sit at lunchtime, Neil and I would sit watching the, the, the rushes, yeah. what we shot the day before. So we'd sit there with the editor, and he was watching the rushes through his fingers. <laughs> he was so scared. He was so scared by it. And you can't, you know, Neil and I weren't watching the rushes. We were watching his reaction more than, more than what we'd shot. Because it's like, yeah, if he's scared, then it's going to fool everybody. Fantastic. What are the projects that you've worked on that you're most proud of? I think... Um, Gosh, I've been so lucky to have been asked to design such amazing projects, and every one has been a complete joy. Well, pick a few that you like. Sure, okay, so I think one of them would be um, Avenue 5. So mm -hmm. this is a TV show that I've designed with Armando Nucci. Yeah, which is fantastically successful. Yes, it is, and it's a wonderful piece, and it's, we're a few weeks in, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And he puts together such an amazing cast. Uh, and, and fantastic scripts, um, just full of so much wit and, and drama. It's fantastic as a designer to work yeah. with him. But um, so that's that's been wonderful because it's you know every almost every job I've designed has been a completely different genre. This time working on science fiction, I've been you know it's just like opened my eyes and I've been I set out to design this world which is uh, so futuristic and, and I've chosen to use um, uh, kind of future technology to design it. So I've been using virtual reality. So this hasn't been done before in the okay. film industry or TV or anything. So, so I mean, th there has been some use of virtual reality that we design a set in 3D and then you stand in the middle of it and with your headset on, you look around and it's all amazing. Yeah. And you get a sense of the space. But we've been designing sets and you can move through them. And because it's a large composite set, huge composite set, 
um, you can move through the space and you can you can look at the angles and you can talk about the blocking. So Armando's been ha wearing the headset and we've been discussing it together and then the DOP, the cinematographer arrives and we look through it as well. So we can have these huge discussions about the sets even before, like a year before we started building anything. But also we can then, um, uh, we can kind of output the models, these 3D models and 3D print them, you know, to make tabletop models that we're kind of traditionally used to looking at. And then also there's like in this next season I'm designing a, like a big cave, uh, and so I'm designing <laughs> kind of like oh, good yeah. cave, <laughs> tick. Um, but but this time it's amazing because because in virtual reality I'm starting with this. So you put the goggles on you in this empty environment with nothing, and you've got two hand tools and you can kind of extrude clay and and you can form it and push it and pull it. So I'm actually this time I'm designing a set from nothing for a TV project, and this has never been done before, to, to actually do it in 3D, wow. uh, to create this environment, to create this cave and push holes through and, and make nooks and crannies and affect the floor and things. So, so yeah, so that's, that's really exciting. For I ask you a really crass question. Have you ever played Minecraft? <laughs> it's a lot less blocky than Minecraft. Okay, yeah, fine, my but, kids play Minecraft, yes. But, but in principle, it's Minecraft, right? But it's clever Minecraft. <laughs> it's really clever Minecraft. It is. I know, but so many engineers use. I think there's a the university somewhere that uses Minecraft as part of their um, uh, engineering. Minecraft kind of. is the only video game I have ever played and understood. Oh, really? like, well, I don't understand video games at all, but I understand Minecraft. It's, yeah, I, fine, yeah, I, but that makes perfect sense to me. Okay, so that's one thing. What else have you really enjoyed? working on? Um, I think Bell was a really wonderful piece to work on because... Uh, this is Amara Santi's film. Yes, and Amara's a wonderful, wonderful woman to work with, so, so fantastic. Um, and uh, to be able to, to create an environment for her, her story was, was wonderful. We all went to the Isle of Man, uh, which was a, a, as a, interesting as a production designer because we had a script and they had certain scenes and we went to the Isle of Man to shoot there and it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's, it's got these amazing locations, none of which we needed. So, <laughs> so it was wonderful to work with Amma as a production designer, just like, just show us stuff, you know, just show us some, some old buildings and some interesting farms and just take us around, you know. We're driving around in a minibus and it's like, well, what's that over there? So we then go drive across a field and explore this amazing house and things. So then it was kind of reverse engineering because actually we, we looked for uh, the lo we looked for locations and then reverse engineered it into the script. Very good. You didn't manage to get Laxy Wheel in, which I was very disappointed about. <laughs> doesn't fit into the story of Bell, no, which doesn't. is really annoying. <laughs> and you, you had really good fun doing the Johnny English films. Yes, that was fabulous. And working with, well, it was wonderful working on the Johnny English films because uh, working with, with Rowan Atkinson was, was, was wonderful. I mean, he is a wonderful, wonderful gentleman and he is he's, he's brilliant. Um, but he's like a scientist, the way he approaches uh, the comedy. So as a, as a designer, it was amazing. So we had these very long conversations, um, the meetings about, about uh, specific um, uh, props, because they had to do the, the, the weight of them and the size of them. They all had to do a, a job. So it was wonderful working with him that close. And we'd, we'd have like an array of, of each item for him to have a hold and, and to, to try out. Um, uh, uh, for, for the particular scene. But then, as you know, traditionally, everything else was, was kind of rooted through uh, the director and the producers. But, but still, um, uh, Rowan really wanted to have, have involvement in it. So you're, you're working on you know, a range of different projects, both small screen and big screen. You've worked with a range of different you know, directors from different uh, levels of, uh, of um, you know, money and everything. Do you have like a favorite environment to work in? Is there like, you like being in a certain studio, you like working with a certain, but is there something that really, if you think, oh, I'm gonna be doing that for the next year, that's great. Mm. I think, gosh, again, I've been so lucky to be uh, asked to design these projects. Um, I suppose the variety is, is, is an is a exciting thing. So working on Avenue 5 was, was fantastic because I've been working with Amanda on it since uh, for like the last two years. Yeah. So we've completed the first season and now I'm seeing them into the, into the next season. Um, and which is wonderful because it's, it's you know, the, I'm used to only working on projects maybe for eight months, maybe a year at the most. Um, uh, whereas Avenue 5 is, is, is taking a lot longer. But actually it's been wonderful because of the, the subject matter um, this is in this, uh, the whole thing is set in this enormous spaceship and it's on like a big cruise ship. So uh, it's got this infinite number of rooms and Amanda really after, he's after kind of like exploring each room is completely different from the other. So, so I, like I say, I'm designing a, a, a cave room and I'm designing a room that's kind of hollowed out from an enormous center of a tree. So it's got this amazing wood grain around it. So designing all these different things uh, and it feels like I'm working on different projects all the time because 
I want, you know, we're all after each of these spaces within the spaceship yeah. being, uh, being looked totally different from the last. What the hairy hell is going on? I need to know. Is the ship breaking down? Are you safe? I am as ignorant as you. That sounds rude. I meant it to be self-deprecating. I can't find my daughter. She was on the bridge wearing the captain's hat. Okay, well, those hats are reinforced and they protect your head, so... Oh, you have the hat. Maybe I can help. I, uh, I was one of the first 30 astronauts to orbit Mars. Well, I mean, you were the 30th, right? <laughs> and the first Canadian to land on it. Last year when I did this, and I thought it was a really lovely, glitzy ceremony. <laughs> it was very well designed, surprisingly enough. <laughs> What are, what are you looking forward to about tonight's awards? I'm looking forward to uh, applauding and cheering for, for my colleagues for their amazing work. Every single project that is nominated uh, this year is, is absolutely spectacular. Um, and, and you can see every single kind of pencil stroke, every paintbrush, every choice of colour, every choice of fabric. You can see it in all the projects. Yeah. It's wonderful. And loads and loads of television, which is now being designed there is no longer any differentiation between film production and television production, is there? It is like yeah. television and film are now pretty equal playing field. They really are, yes. It was the, in the UK, there, was, there used to be traditionally a very wide variety of, of budgets from, from tiny little budgets, uh, kind of micro budgets, that went through all the way up to the larger projects. And there's been a kind of a, a gulf between the medium-sized budgets, they've been going down and the big budgets have been going up and there's a bigger and bigger gap between the two. Right. Um, so, uh, and TV seems to have kind of jumped in there and filled that gap. So they're quite kind of daring projects to be taken on and traditionally a, f a small to medium-sized film project wouldn't take them on. But, but the television is so hungry for, for amazing projects and also for well-known actors and well-known directors. directors. That, that they're just being sucked into it and, and they're giving, you know, they're treating us wonderfully and giving us a really decent amount of money to make these projects. So, so and, and the British film industry is being sucked along with it. And it's, so not only are we still working on these huge projects, these fabulous smaller projects, but also now we're working on these really high concept, very expensive, beautiful um, television projects as well. So the future is bright. It is, yeah. It does seem to be carrying on. Even with Brexit, it looks like the industry isn't damaged by that. So um, We should say that we're recording this interview the morning after. Oh, yeah, the morning after. Everything's still out, out, out the window. <laughs> it's still there. Um, but, yeah, so, the, the, uh, so yes, it is, it's, it's enormous. It's, it's growing and growing. And, actually, we're so hungry for people. We're now physically, even the Guild are physically supporting uh, schools and colleges who have media courses or who have specific production design courses in making sure that they teach everything that, that we feel that they need to be learning so that when they're released into the open that they're actually employable people because we really need them. Wow, so, so if somebody was looking to get into the film industry and was interested in that area, that is an area in which there is a desire for workers. Absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes. We can't get enough of, of, uh, of talent in, you know, in the art departments, in the set decorating department, in construction. On the last uh, project I worked on, we, had, we ran out of um, riggers, so the, the, the scaffolders of the film industry. We ran out of them in the UK, we ran out. So we had to start employing um, scaffolders, so who were working on people's houses one minute, and then the next thing, they're coming in and they're working on a spaceship. And, uh, and, the, and they're still, they stayed in the industry, and I see a few of them passing at, uh, at Leavesden Studios every now and again, and they just come and tell me about what they're working on. They're working on Batman now, and it's just like, it's such an amazing thing for them to be, to be sucked out of, of, of everyday scaffolding, and, and now they're in these amazing environments. Meanwhile, you ended up making my tap, so thank you very much. <laughs> it's, it's a, a, a two-way street, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Sonia Klaus, and I'm at the British Film Designers Guild Awards, which are being held in London at the Sheraton on Park Lane. I'm here because I'm two roles this evening. I'm the vice chair of the Guild and I'll become the chair in June of this year and so it's quite a big thing for me because Adam who is the chair is going to officially announce my rival to the job. This will be my final awards as chairman and I'll be handing over to Sonia as chair at the next AGM. Sonia is someone who first made her name as a set decorator and has gone on to become a production designer of films such as Terminator Dark Fate, uh, Taboo and most recently the BBC production of A Christmas Carol. She'll be taking over from me this summer and I'd like to invite her to say a few words now. And I'm also here because I was nominated for an award this evening uh, in one category for a film I did called Terminator. Okay. And you met my friend Jack Howard at the screening of Terminator. I did. That was so funny. <laughs> it was Tell so me. funny because wa I watched the movie. Well, I went into town. My husband booked some tickets because I'd already seen it. Because it's a long story, but I'd already seen it. I'd been out to LA and they'd, we'd had a private screening. And because of the fires, there was going to be this huge massive premiere they blocked off hollywood boulevard i stayed in the roosevelt hotel that was across the street i took my assistant with me mike battle who'd never been to like a thing before and when we arrived it was like all closed down they were like and it was like and we were like god holy shit it's huge <laughs> and there were like all this big press stands and it was like amazing and we were staying in the same hotel where the party was and so i go down they were like going to cover over the pool and it was all like lobster and all that kind of stuff and then on the monday morning we get this call from the director's assistant he says we're not doing it and we're like what do you mean we're not doing it? And he goes, we're not, it's not happening because of the fires. And, you know, because Arnold got um, moved last night at 4.30 or this morning at 4.30 in the morning. So we're not having, it's off. The premiere's cancelled. Oh and I was like, and I turned to Mike and I went, oh, for God's sake, I can't believe I've bought, you know, I've got a new outfit and I'm going to have to cancel my hair appointment. What are we going to do? And he's like, well, you know, we should do something from our bucket list. And so we went and he never fired a gun. So he just went. Neither have I. Just he never fired record. a gun. And, it, and he said, let's go into a shooting range. <laughs> so we went to a shooting range. It was so flipping bizarre. I couldn't make it up. Anyway, then they said, oh, the reason we're going to we're going to give the we're going to give the food. We feel we should give the f food to the poor. You know, the people, not the poor, but the people who've lost their homes and been displaced. So I, so I just said. So they're going to get waiters and waitresses to go around with canapes in the places where these people are in a bat in like, you know, been displaced and they haven't got their house and got a sleeping bag. Um, so Lobble. this is lobster with caviar or would you like this vegetarian option? And it was just, it was so comic. And then, so then my husband rang and went, I, so I saw it, I went to see the film and there were about 54 of us and Arnold was there and Linda was there and they were there with their family and it was actually really nice to watch it with them. Yeah. And then that's when I came to London and then I bumped into... Jack Howard. Yeah, I bumped into Jack and he was weirdly sitting behind me and the film finished and I could hear him like talking like a sort of filmy person, you know, like going, oh that's yeah, Jack. so, you know. And I turned around and I said, oh, it's interesting to hear what you have to say about it because I designed it. And that was it really. And then we had this big old chat. We were talking about it and he asked me what it was like working on it. And then, and he came to see me because I'm on another show at the moment. And then... He rang me and said, oh, can I see you? And so he turned up at Ealing and had a chat. We had a chat. Yeah. So, so his feeling about it was, and I share this, was that the design is one of the greatest Yeah, he said he liked that a lot. Yeah. I, I, I doesn't know if he's being nice because I was standing in front of him. But. No, I know it's true because he's told me when you weren't there that he yeah. said that that's the case. So a, a huge, enormous project. How personal does it feel when you work on something that big? Well, I've... I, I can't, I've come from a background of working on very large films because I've done a lot of work with Ridley Scott. Yeah. And so I've done, um, when I was a set decorator, I... Did Gladiator and... Yeah, I did Gladiator. And it, interestingly enough, that was quite weird. I saw Joaquim and hadn't, last night and hadn't seen him for 20 years. Since and he, Gladiator. Since Gladiator. And he was staring at me at this thing and he was staring at me and I looked and I said, hi, it's Sonia. And he went, 
I know you like that. And I went, yeah, you haven't seen me for 20 years. And then we had a good old chat and he, and he was, we were having a joke about things that happened on set quite funny with Russell because everything to do with Russell is quite funny. <laughs> and um, and he, so I can't remember what I was saying to you. I've got a sidetrack now completely. Um, about yeah, it was about, about Terminator was, you know, when you're, when you're on big shows, I mean, it was different when I was with, you know, when I was working with Ridley, it's all about the visual. It's all about, you know, you, building. yeah, it is. And, and, and you know that when you've stressed over something and made it perfect or spent hours dressing a set or making some prop, you know, that Ridley's going you know, it's going to be in the show and you know, it's not going to be wasted. And I suppose I came from that and I came from the big scale, you know, the huge things. I did kingdom of heaven with him. I did Robin Hood with him and I've done about seven shows with him. And then Ridley gave me stuff to design. That's why I got Taboo, because he gave me Taboo. I did a good year with him, and I've just done A Christmas Carol. And so, you know, he, I'm sort of part of the family, but he realized that I was going to go off designing. And so when I went on to Terminator, it was interesting because there was me, my, I'd come from my background, and then there was Tim, the director, who hadn't, didn't come from that background like me at all. Right. Tim had done Deadpool and had been very successful. You know, yeah. it had made a lot of money. Um, I think Ryan Reynolds might have had something to do with that. Though I think when you speak, if you spoke to Tim, he'd probably tell you that he had something to do with that. And I think Ryan Reynolds will tell you that he had something to do with that. So I think they just have to have a little fight in the car park about that one. And uh, so they, then they decided to make Deadpool 2 in a way he didn't work on it. And then he, that's when he hooked up with James Cameron. And, you know, I, I came from that world of, you know, Arnold all the years ago. You know, when I grew up and we were younger, he was like... You know, he was like the like it was like oh Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was the action hero man. You know, with the big muscles and kind of like the voice and and Linda Hamilton as well. You know, if you think about when we were younger, we didn't really have loads of there weren't loads of women that played these big action role parts with guns and kind of like being chased by things. There weren't. You know, yeah. there was Wonder Woman. You had Lindsay Wagner playing Bionic Woman. You know, you you, you had Sigourney Weaver when he was she was an alien, but you didn't really. And then there was Linda. Yeah. So I was obviously so excited about meeting her. And, and I think you, you do get swallowed up when you're in something that's quite that big. You kind of do get a bit swallowed up in it, but I think because I am used to that, I don't feel like that because it doesn't. It's not a threat to me. It's sort of like a normal. The scale of it is a normal thing for me. But I do think you know some people can't cope with that size because they they haven't done it or they don't want that. You know, you yeah. often meet people. I'm sure you do. They're like going, oh, I prefer to do smaller things where I know everybody. And and I will say, like you know, Christmas yeah. Carol. I just did that and. That's a smaller thing. And you know everyone. You yeah. know, when you turn up on Terminator, you walk around and you go, who's that? I, don't, I mean, who are they? You know, it's a bit like when you go to a premiere and you walk around and you, it's a show you've worked on. You go, who are all these people? <laughs> do they just go out and like go, do you want to come? Do you want to come? You look pretty. You can come. Do you want to come? And, and you walk in and you sit there and you're like going, who? I mean, who are they? And you don't actually recognize anyone apart from maybe the producer turns up or the director or one of the stars. You know, it's like that. My only experience of that is that in the very few times that I've made anything that has been awards nominated, and believe me, these are times that I could name not only on one hand, but on a couple of fingers. I've had emails from people who I have never heard of telling me how nice it was to work with me on the show. And I have literally <laughs> so got no idea. <laughs> I can't stand it. You know, when someone, they walk up to me and they go, oh, Sonia, it's so nice to see you again. You know, like, you know, we had such fun, didn't we? And I'm thinking, and then that's when I worry. I think, have I got Alzheimer's coming? Because I'm staring at them going, I have no recollection of you at all. I really don't. I don't. And it's not, you know, and then I think, did I? And then someone says to me later, well, actually, they did come on, but they were only on it for a week. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, no, I don't feel so bad. Well, Sonia, you and I met a year ago, and, and then I, I, did, I did exactly the same thing. I just kind I of know. went complete. Because I know, but I forgive you. You meet loads of people, and no, you see loads of things. No, it's not. Too, I mean, I've got some kind of facial dyspraxia thing. <laughs> you know you know what the, what the cameras do? I promise you I've had no facial surgery. No, no, but you know... <laughs> I'm, thank you. But you know, like those, the cameras in, in, in London that recognise you facially. I'm like yes. the antichrist of them. <laughs> I meet, I, there was a fantastic book by Nora Ephron called I Remember Nothing. Oh, yes. The bit when yes. she arrives at Las Vegas yes. and she sees a woman walking towards her and she recognises it, but she doesn't know who it is, and it's her sister. <laughs> Well, that's me. I am Nora Ephron at Las Vegas Airport meeting my sister and having no idea who she is. It is quite funny, isn't it? But it does happen to us all. You know, you do it, and and I and I you do, but we do it, don't you? You know, you'll have someone that walk past you that you know who that, and you and they walk past you and think, I know that person, and then and then you and you don't necessarily recognise the name, and then you go, 
oh my god that's my next door neighbor yeah. <laughs> and you know but on the projects you're working on you must because you, you're surrounded by people i mean these armies of people working. yeah there on are stuff. you get a lot yeah you're hundreds of people yeah so it must get to the point that actually there is just no way of remembering. you can't you like to think you know and i always you know i've learned over the years you know i try to be polite about it go oh yes you know and and even though i don't and and you know and i i think it's a it's a, it's a skill that you kind of need to learn, really, because it also you remember that person, it makes them feel a bit more special if you do kind of acknowledge that, <laughs> that, that you remember, you know, even though you're thinking, fuck, I don't, you know, but, but I, and, you know, and the thing is, I think it's like, you know, when I met, met Joaquim last night, yeah. I thought at first he's not going to remember me, but he, I knew he did because he gave me that weird, he stared at my face and it kind of was like, I know that face, you know, and he did that to me. And I knew at that split second that he did actually know that he'd seen my face somewhere in his memory bank, you know, back in the back in the day, yeah. a long time ago. And then and then it suddenly came to him, you know, he suddenly remembered all the things we did, you know, and it and it was because um, you think about the volumes of people that they have to meet, you know, they go to those things and they have to constantly meet them and meet people. And, you know, they probably don't remember. What are you most proud of having worked on? I would have to say that I used to joke to my husband and I used to go, well, I think I, I do believe that I have worked on one of the greatest films that has been created in the last 50 years, and that was Gladiator. And I still, to this day, I hear that music and I watch it and I can't quite... I really can't quite believe it. Do you go back and watch it? I, I saw it about six months ago and I also did something which was really quite amazing because in the Royal Albert Hall they show they screen big films and they have a With full With live orchestra. score, yes, it that's is, right. If you can ever go or if you've ever, if you've been, my husband just went to see E.T. Yeah. And I was lucky. My husband booked tickets for Gladiator but you have to book them immediately because it just sells out so quickly. Yeah. And the music is phenomenal. That man is a genius. And I sat in one position and watched it, like down in the stools. And then my friend called me and said, oh, I've got some friends and they've booked a box. And they would be honored if you would sit with them and watch Gladiator. Wow. Because they just would love to be with someone who worked on it. So I went back and I watched it and it was quite weird. Because these people, they kept looking at me. Like when there was like a moment, they were like turning and looking at me. <laughs> like they wanted to touch me, like to go, it's amazing, like that. And, and it was quite a, a surreal thing. And I, and I think that's the thing when you go and watch something, and I know, because I did it when I went to see Gladiator in the cinema, and I spent most of the time looking at people's faces. There's that scene, which I loved in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when um, um, oh, the actress goes and she sits, you know, she's Margot playing Margot Sharon, Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, when she's going and she sits in the cinema. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's watching, looking at people, watching her. And I understood that because that's what it's like. Because you think, oh, do they like oh, it? Do they like it? Because yeah. it's your work. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like you, you know, if you're painting or if you're singing or, yeah. you know, you want to know they like it. And, and she I, loves the fact they start laughing at the jokes. Yes, and, she's, and, 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 that's, and I love that. I thought that was so wonderful, that moment. And I thought, I know that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, Gladiator was quite an event. It was, I lost a lot of weight doing it. It was hard, really hard. It was a very big uh, space to run around in. And Ridley was very, Ridley is, is moves a lot. He changes things. You know, he, he will come in the morning and the light will be doing something and he'll want to adjust for that light. You know, so he'll go, let's move this set and put it over there because it's better over there. You know, he does do that. Okay. And he is the master of that. And he, and you have to go with that. And if you can't handle that, a lot of people can't go with that. They're like, oh, why, why do they have to move it? Why do they do it? It's like, it's a process that he does. That's how he does. And I'm so used to it, it doesn't bother me. And, th and I'd never worked with him before, so that was the first time I got, I, I got exposed to it. But after a few weeks, you get into it and you're used to it. And I think probably the second thing show that I did was called a film called A Good Year, yeah. which was a set in the south of France, yeah. and it's Russell. And it, you know, and a lot, some people liked it, some people didn't. And, but I do get a lot of people who say to me a lot of the time, they go, 
I love that film. I, it was on the telly the other day and we watched it and I, I just want to book a ticket and go. That's it. Okay, do you, know, do you know what people love about that film? With all due respect, My they don't stuff. love the film. They love the place. They I want know. to live in that house. That's the thing. They I don't know. care about him and her and the thing that with the wine. That house wasn't like that at all. I did kind of like But I was flattered. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you find, it's the biggest flattery you can have. So that house was a nightmare and it was, I can't tell you what it was like, it was literally falling apart yeah. and I did a big number, I re-landscaped all the gardens, I built the fountains, I did like all that swimming pool, I had to like, I put that in, I, I did the tennis court, wow. I cut into the side of their hillside and laid that tennis court, there was no tennis court, I built, all of that was built and <laughs> it was an, it was a momentous task and but I was in the south of France. The light was amazing. The food was incredible. <laughs> I had my favourite people with me. We lived in the most amazing houses. We had like, I can't tell you what it was like. It was like heaven. <laughs> and with my, and, and I didn't worry about money because, you know, Branka was like going, you know, I want you to have what you want. And Ridley was like, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to do it. And weirdly, it wasn't about going, oh, I need to spend shitloads of money because we had enough money to do, you know, there wasn't that problem. It, yeah. it had been properly budgeted. And I think it was just the most amazing. And people say that to me. They say to me, what was your favorite thing? Yeah. And I'd have to tell you, that was my favorite thing because I almost couldn't believe that I was there. I just wanted to live in that house. I didn't care about the story. She I didn't a, care about the characters. I just wanted to be the there. The room that was next to the room. Where, when there's that scene where the cleaning lady and she's playing the music and she's going and she's dancing uh. with the mop. And she's going with Martin's music, and you see, and Freddie Highmore's outside, and he's about to, and Max is watching him, and he's jumping in the, going in the pool. Yeah. That room was a nightmare. That room, I had to shore it up from downstairs. There were actually acro props holding it up because it was the house <laughs> was falling down. In the in a room off of that room was this fucking parrot. She had these maca this macaw parrot, and she was like, she'd come. She was she was Mrs. Margol. She was bonkers, and she comes. Just you are the best interview I have ever done. Oh, uh, <laughs> so well, I suppose because I don't. Anyway, she so she came in. She went. Oh no 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 no! Like this as I was trying to go through the door, and I was like going, "Oh, can I just no 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 like this?" And so I I opened the door, and this fucking parrot had been left in this room, and she just let it fly around, and the shit on the floor, the parrot shit was about six inches deep, and I couldn't open the door for it, and it was so rotten, it was seeping through the floorboards, this like you know wrap this stuff seeping through, going to the room below. I couldn't make it up. She then said to me, I went, I went, oh, I said, um, I said, we need to, I need to do some cleaning downstairs. And I was literally, we cleared up eight bags of dog hair, like, ba like sacks of dog hair. And so I got my prop man. I said, could you just ask her if, she is, if she's got a cleaning lady, you know, because we were about to do it. And he went, he came back and he went, uh, she's on holidays like this. And I went, uh, she'd been on a very long holiday. He said, I think she's been on a two-year holiday, like that. And I found, like, old pork chops, literally, like, bones from lamb, lamb chops and pork chops, like, stuffed down the back of the sofa. And I was going, what are we doing here? But Ridley and I looked at it and were like, it's the best house ever, because it had that fantastic driveway up. And then you looked down where they were, where they were picking, because the vineyards were being picked, and yeah, there was yeah. that beautiful... You know, there was a bit below and I put that huge fountain in and made all that thing. And then the garden at the back when he walks through in the garden and he's walking all through. I mean, it was literally a labour of love and it was endless. You know, it went on forever and ever and ever. And But it was the most brilliant fun. And it was even funnier because obviously you had people like Russell you had to deal with. And, you know, and him. <laughs> he's and so easy. He's so easy going. He got lost. He was like, we were waiting for him one morning and Ridley was like, where the fuck? like this and I was going I don't know where he is I don't know anyway he'd got on his bike and he decided to go off on a cycle through the lo the lanes in front you know what I mean you wouldn't do that <laughs> and then they sent the driver out to try and drive around all these lanes to try and find him and then eventually they found him it was like 15 kilometers in completely the wrong direction so they had to come and fish him back it was I mean it, the whole thing was mad and so that's why I loved it so much because of that Joan of Arc oh Jacques Cousteau you tried to drown me. And you tried to run the other with your little car. What are you talking about, I tried to run you over? What sort of bollocks is that? Down the road from La Sirocque, you were driving an immediate car on your phone. Bonjour, bonjour. And I believe, had your head stuck very far up your ass, look at the damage you have caused me. Faites attention, you tried to kill me, I tried to kill you. So my name is Gemma Jackson, and I'm a production designer 
and um, I, I am, I mean, I'm very involved with the, with the organisation anyway, but I have also been nominated tonight for Aladdin, which is um, in their, obviously, fantasy section. Now, we first met when we did, I did an event almost two years ago now, in, in which it was about film production design, and I was doing a series of kind of, you know, like informal masterclasses. And it was you and a few other people, and it was the first time at which somebody sort of properly said to me, you do understand that film critics have absolutely no idea how film production design works, or indeed what it is. So it's a pleasure to be speaking to you again <laughs> now for the second year that I'm uh, hosting these awards. Do you think that people are starting to understand what it is that production design actually is, or is it, is it the same as it was a couple of years ago? Um, I would like to, first of all, I was very pleased to, I've seen that you are trying very hard to make an inroad here. I, I have trying. actually noted it. <laughs> Thank you. But I don't think you've, you've particularly managed to affect very many of your colleagues. And uh, I still think it is seen as a very kind of curious entity. I think costume is so much more easy, easier yeah. for the world to see. And I think what, what people don't really understand is that we are very, very, um, well, good ones. You know, we are visual storytellers. We are there to tell you all the other nuances of what the story is about over yeah. and above, you know, the actual actors or the words or whatever. We're trying to give you an overall feeling. I also think that, I'm probably going to say loads of different things here all at mm. once, but, you know, it's often seen as the director's vision, which, of course, overall, one must give 100% respect to the director. But the director chooses their DP and their designers incredibly carefully mm -hmm. because those people are going to bring them and help them create their image, their, their vision. And I think um, that's what's perhaps not quite understood, that um, we have a very strong input in the best situation as to how this film looks and what that DP is going to be shooting on without us. He has, you know, there's nothing there. And so I think I feel quite strongly that, um, that how do you actually put all these things together? Um, that we, we, read the, we read the scripts, we, we interpret them, we talk a lot with the director before even the DP arrives. You know, we're talking colour and shape and space and how much space before they actually come into them. And of course, they become an incredibly important part of the, of the whole um, way it's worked. But um, I think, yes, it's misunderstood a wee bit how early on we're there. I mean, I'm on this series, I went with HBO, um, a new series with Joss Whedon, which is mm. really exciting. And this has been going um, since about last January, February, and yeah. we've only just shot episode two. And we have multivarious DOPs and, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's very much me and my team trying to create the look, the overall look for this, um, for this series, I think. When you see movies, I mean, mo people, you know, audiences, will, they'll think of movies because of directors or because of stars. When you see movies, do you see designers? Like, do you see, oh, I recognise that that's such and such a designer? <laughs> Sometimes, actually, usually, if I, I, I'm, I'm probably a bit unusual, but I just get completely swept up in them. And I'm not very, I'm not particularly sort of academic sort of person. I'm quite an emotional person. Yeah. So I just get swept up. <clears throat> so absolutely, usually, if I get brought up by something, it's very often because it's kind of brought me out of yeah. where I am. Um, and it's interesting looking today, thinking about films that I love, etc. because I knew I was coming to talk to you, how many films I didn't know the designer of. Okay. So I was annoyed with myself for that. So. so what are the things that you've seen that have impressed you recently? Um, well, in the very recent lot, yeah. I mean, I thought The Lighthouse was absolutely stunning. Yeah, and you know, and uh, of course I didn't realise this until... They built the whole They thing. built the whole lighthouse. I, I just imagined they'd found an old... Li that lighthouse is think, at the very least, and then they'd build the bottom bit. Nope. They built the whole down From scratch. And that beautiful, you know, the light. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been up in a lighthouse. I have, yeah. But they are exceptionally beautiful places. I mean, I thought it was a bit kind of boy's own at some point. So I've got a little bit like... Well, it is only two blokes <laughs> in a lighthouse. I mean, Robert Eggers <laughs> said it's a story of two people living in a phallus. Exactly. So, you know, which is... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it really, there were times I thought, Oh, really? But I did think it was a stunning piece of work. Absolutely stunning piece of work. Um, in the ones this year, I'm having such a... When you ask me things like that, I knew I'd go completely bonkers. And Because I, I, one of my favourite... He's actually not in this year. That was last year. One of my favourite people is Pavlovsky. See, yeah. my, it's weird because, of course, I love 
big singing in the rain. I love you know black narcissus. I love big epic things yeah. because of course we all love to design big epic things. But when it comes to actual films that I love, very often it's going to be Pavlovsky or it'll be you know um, what was it called American. Honey, yeah, know, oh yeah, something yeah. you know, which really isn't consciously. I was talking to um, a colleague of yours earlier on and saying that um, with the um, that beautiful film, the Florida Project, yeah, you know, and what was the what were the design decisions there? Most of it would have been probably about the color of that motel, which is so striking, which is so important, yeah, because also it kind of gives you the kind of you, you only gradually realize where you are and that Disneyland's around the corner, and of course they had to do interiors and filthy rooms and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm sure they had no money, but that one big decision was absolutely huge. Yeah, the know. fact that it looks like a kind of fantasy castle and it's yeah. also that it's outside Disneyland, that yeah. it's like they're in the wasteland beyond That's it. That's right, and they might never, it's almost like Disneyland is across a river, it's across the waters, mm. it's, it's like in another world. I, I thought that was exquisite, that film. And all those kind of, you know, the, the donut shop, and then the weird bit when suddenly they're, they're in a bit of a meadow, which is actually, yeah. the, and there's that beautiful thing about the tree that's fallen down, yeah. which apparently they had, you know, that, that, that wasn't just there by coincidence. I no. mean, that's all, the, I think it's like you were saying about the lighthouse, you just assume it was there and some, and a location manager found it and mm. said, I found mm. the perfect place mm. for you. Mm. Have you seen, you may not have done, have you seen Bait, the Cornish movie? I haven't seen See, I think you'd be, if in terms of what you're talking about, but yeah. I think you'd really like it, not least because aesthetically it's very similar to The Lighthouse. In fact, the BFI is showing them as a double bill because they, they both have a similar kind of claustrophobia about them. And they're both mm. fairly, you know, not huge budget projects by any mm. means at all, but it's all to do with the look. It's all to do with the, you know, yeah, with the way no, the film been, looks. I have been told to see it. I just haven't seen it. I watched another one last the other night, which was absolutely uh, Queenie and Slim. Oh, That's Queenie and Slim! Extremely stylish. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. And the, she's such a brilliant director, and Daniel yeah. Kaluuya is so yeah. wonderful. And in why the is lead. that woman not being, you know, that director not being brought up into yeah, this? Yeah, Melina Matsukas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, yeah. she's a brilliant pop video director. Oh, is that where she's come from? She comes from pop video. She does. She's uh -huh. done an awful lot of very significant pop videos, which okay. is why she's got such a brilliant eye. That's and she's come beautiful. through from commercials as well. But yeah. this is her first feature, and it's. Yeah, I mean the framing and everything about it and the colour and it's just exquisite. I yeah. it's, the first 10 minutes I thought, oh no, I can't watch this, I can't watch this, but you have to get over that and yeah, then of course yeah, it's yeah. an extraordinary film. Oh, I thought it was great. Yeah. What, what are you most proud of having worked on? Oh my God, um, it's a bit like saying which of your children do you like best, I, I know, but... Because it's all different things. I mean, I'm very proud of, um, I could go right back to say The Borrowers. You know, that yeah. was a complete uphill struggle for me. I'm incredibly proud of, of Game of Thrones because I set that up, you know, I set up the look of that series, which I genuinely believe, and this is going to sound incredibly egocentric, that, that I'm, I am an important part of how it sort of took off and yeah. looked. I think if somebody else had made it look different, it might have really affected it, you know. I'm terribly proud of that. Um, so how did that happen, the Game of Thrones gig? How did that come about? Um, because I'd done um, uh, John Adams. Right. What happened was, I was, it was really quite funny. I remember sitting talking to Sandy Powell, actually, having our nails done in Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> getting ready for the of Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd never been nominated for an Oscar before, and I was nominated for Finding Neverland. Yeah. And I've known Sandy since theatre days. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, hello, oh, touch hat. And I said, I, I said, what am I going to do? I said, I'm going, here I am. You know, I probably won't get it because Dante Ferretti got it that night. Um, but, um, you know, I'm going to see HBO tomorrow about this series. It's called John Adams and it's amazing. And I think it could really, you know, there's so many beautiful things I could be doing and building and structure and scale because I love scale for mm. me personally. And I hadn't really had enough of it. And I remember her being very sanguine and sandy and just sort of saying, you know, just follow your heart, you know. Who cares whether it's a movie or a TV? And that was just before TV was really quite so sort yeah. of accepted, you know. And um, she was absolutely right. And I did that, and that's really what got me cracking, I think. Um, and I absolutely loved that um, series. And uh, eventually Tom Hooper came along and directed it, but we'd already done about a year's work on it. Yeah. And I'd have various people come in. Mick Jackson was going to do it at one point. You name it. They all came through, went away again. And I went off and did a film with... Um, Gillian Armstrong came back and then they said, right, this is Tom Hooper, hope you can get on together and off you go. So I think that was a big, big start. And then, then HBO being very loyal, yeah. then um, sort of said, I was finished, I was in LA and they said, uh, do you want, you've got any time up your sleeve? Do you want to go and do some research? And 
got this extraordinary project. We think it's like crack on paper. I remember that was Janet Graham Barber's big expression. I said, well, blimey, okay. I didn't think the books were that good at all, to be absolutely <laughs> honest with you. They're not big literature. Um, but I was like, sure. I'll get. So I spent three weeks in the library in downtown LA, because it was really before Google was so efficient. Yeah. Actually, I still think libraries are good. And, you know, the rest is history. Off I went, except after about season three, having done the pr- the pr- first year, which never got seen, and then three more years, I kind of thought, I've got to stop, because I can't go on doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I, then that was lovely, because that led me into Guy Ritchie world and all that, which was great fun. And Aladdin, um, is you, you're not... You're one of the people in your newspaper said it was like... My newspaper being... The being the, okay, yes, fine. Your on. newspaper <laughs> yeah, said it was like a, a, a pantomime or something. I was mortified. Who I could that? only think... Is it Charlotte or Christine or some woman with a C? Simran or Wendy? Honestly, I don't Catherine know. Schwag. Yes. Oh, there okay. You go. Let me just be clear. That's the Guardian. Oh, that's the, yes, Guardian. the Guardian. That's not the Observer. So you sorry. say your newspaper. I'm so yes, sorry, no, that Mark. Was the, the Guardian. Now, Karen, no, you go ahead. That's absolutely fine. So somebody <laughs> anyway, in the Guardian somebody said. Somebody in the Guardian put it and said it was like a pantomime. And I just thought this person had not seen it. I mean, it's jolly good fun. It's not exactly high art, but it was not like a pantomime. I was very insulted. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, anyway, it was good fun at the time. You do know that critics don't know anything, don't you? Well, it, I sometimes, I don't think you are in that position. You are the most, you know more about film than anybody. No, believe me, I, what, what the, I am like, my mother was a GP, and my mother told me that the more you did medicine, the more you understand how little you actually knew. I see what you mean. I see and, what you mean. and my feeling is the more you do, any, when, I, when I started out in film criticism, I knew everything. Yeah. I knew everything. There was nobody could have told me anything <laughs> at all. And after now having done it for whatever it is, 35 years, I realised that I don't know anything at all and the production design thing was one of the things that really it really stuck with me I was really struck by you know in being in that conversation with people who said this is what we do for and you yeah. basically have no idea what it is yeah and and they were right and yes, I said yes. I have tried to get yeah, better yeah. no no I think it's any but, little mention is we had the same thing many years ago I worked in theatre and we got that lovely man Michael Billingham oh yeah and uh, we kind of got hold of him. I mean, I'm talking about the 80s now. Got hold of him, would you kidnap him? Pretty much, yes. And sort of said, you've got to talk about the designers. You've got to. And they, are, they have got much better. Our theatre reviews have got much, much better. I think it's perfectly legitimate. I think if you're making something and it's being reviewed or critiqued by somebody, I think you have every right. Mm. To, it's, I mean, in the end, people's opinions are people's opinions. Mm. But if you think you actually don't understand how this is working and you should do, I do think it's important. I mean, I've ne- I would never make a film. I've been on film sets. They're like battlefields. I don't, you know, I don't know how anybody can make a film without losing their minds, <laughs> just in terms of the number of people. Well, that's yes. But but I do think that people ought to have some sense of what's so, involved in if it. If you're talking about filmmaking, you're talking about directing, you're talking about the story and how the thing um, develops and how the story is told and how you as an audience are receiving it, the design is a is a huge part of that. Yeah. And, um, and if you're not kind of getting the information, it could be it's a bad design. Um, but if you're getting loads of fantastic information and you know where this person lives and you get a sense of who they are, it's all being helped to you, actually, by the, by the design, I think, yeah. obviously. You know, and we love to... Sometimes directors and, and producers kind of go, oh, well, there's a few changes, but it's just dialogue changes. And you say, actually, no, we should see those because they might be talking about why they love something or why they don't love something. And that's going to help us put what belongs to that character in their kitchen, on their kitchen table yeah. or on their desk or what colour their car is because they've said they've, you know, there's all sorts of information that I think even directors don't realise they're giving you and that all feeds into your sort of interpretation of how to tell that story, you know. Not just me, my set decorator too. I mean, yeah. they're incredibly, a good set decorator is worth their weight in gold, you yeah. know, so. Um, very final thing, it, last year I remember it was a really, it was a really, um, Lovely atmosphere in the room. I've been to award ceremonies in which everyone's smiling, but you feel like everyone actually wants to stab everyone else in the mm. back. It does feel very collegiate here. Oh, with yes, the I think so. I have to admit, last time I was here, I got the Lifetime Achievement, which was so adorable. made me feel absolutely ancient. <laughs> but I have to say, it was really nice for all... The, I've had so many young women come up to me since then and sort of say, oh, I saw, you know... And it was really important to them, even yeah. though um, there was... Quite a few old chaps who well, it should have been me. Um, <laughs> and the person tonight is absolutely right, I think, perfect. But um, it's, it is a nice atmosphere, and I don't think it's a dog-eat-dog sort of no. 
I think we're all going to be applauding. Funnily enough, Tina is also up for Spider-Man and for Aladdin with mm. me, and so I'm saying, well, if it's Spider-Man, darling, you're out of it. <laughs> but, you know, it'll be fine, whatever it is. You know, it'll be really, really nice. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm so. so glad that they've sort of got you into their... I'm delighted. Web. I'm delighted to be. I mean, like one, you know, one year you can get away with it. When they come back for you the second, you think, okay, well, I can't have completely messed it up. No, the time it actually changed things. It made it also feel a bit more professional. Before, <laughs> no, it did. I've because, been called a lot of things, but no, professional is rarely one of them. Because before you'd have sort of various members of the art department <laughs> jumping around, and then they'd bring on sort of I don't know some famous sort of act like Jeremy Irons would be asked in to give this prize and that. And who would want Jeremy Irons when you could have? Well, me? exactly, Mark. <laughs> no, I think it's absolutely great that you're doing it. Really, really great. But I'm surprised to hear you don't have any interest at all in any kind of filmmaking yourself. Oh, you would you, believe me, you would not want to see a film made by me. Film critics are film critics, they're not filmmakers. They're never going to be a filmmaker. No, that's it. I like to watch. That's, I'm like Shirley MacLaine in, <laughs> in uh, Being There. I like to watch. Okay. That's it. Great. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's lovely. It's very nice to see you again. Well, there we are. That was me at the British Film Designers Guild Awards. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, why not check out our Patreon page, which has got a whole bunch of extras, including some exclusive video content. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Remember to subscribe and keep watching the skies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.